0: Luke chapter two, starting verse one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world uh, should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was that while they were there in the days of they accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So he starts out, we'll pause here, we'll keep reading in a minute, but we stop here and and just kind of some of the things we draw from this, uh, as he's kind of setting the stage here, he explains why they were in Bethlehem. Uh, So that's a little important piece of information. Notice he calls it the city of David, being Uh, the city that David would have been kind of born and raised in early on. Uh, You might also see the city of David being referring to Jerusalem, uh, because that's where he ruled as king. But here he's talking about Bethlehem as the city of David. And when he talks about when that taxing was done, uh, I I think the main point of that that we could draw is that we don't necessarily know um, exactly the time uh, and, and date that all of these events occurred, but we know that they occurred around this time, and, and here are the things that were happening around it, and that explains why they were in Bethlehem. Now, uh, it talks about them, why they're there, and it says that there was no room in the inn, so they, they put them in the swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger, and there Jesus was born. Now, he, he kind of gives this in, in a pretty dry uh, situation here, doesn't he, but he gives a little more flavor, a little more detail as we continue reading Uh, and we hear the shepherds uh, hear from the angel. Continuing in verse 8, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you... Is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you: you shall find him, uh, find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will towards men." Now this turned into a crazy night for these guys, didn't it? They're just normal. Uh, we assume uh, because of where they lived and what they're doing here that they were, they were Jewish men just out working men doing their job at night. And then all of a sudden as they're watching their flocks at night the angel of the Lord comes down and this angel comes down in the glory of God. Now we've talked about what the glory of God entails. Now this had to have been terrifying and certainly they were afraid. And the angel has to tell them you know, Don't be afraid here, fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He said, this is a big deal, this is good news, and it's not just for you, it's for all people, he says. And this is a huge statement in verse 11, and I want to look at all the words the angel uses here. This is very important. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. So first he says, born to you, born to mankind this day in the city of David. So that's an important detail, right? Uh, We talk about him being of the lineage of David and being born in the city of David. Those are coming from prophecies. He's born in the city of David, a savior. So he calls him at birth, he calls him savior or deliverer. This is the deliverer, which is Christ. What does Christ mean? Christ means Messiah, Messiah. The angel is saying, born here in the city of David is the deliverer, is the Messiah, the Lord. What does the Lord mean? The supreme authority, the ruler. He's telling these Jewish men who are just out, um, you know, doing their job at night. The angel appears and says, the Savior, the deliverer, the Messiah, the one has come of the lineage of David. He is here. These are important words, aren't they? Now, I'm sure I would believe a lot of things if I saw the glory of God with the angel surrounding. Uh, Certainly, that was a big part of their belief here. But they see all the pieces coming together. The angel is using the language that the Jewish people would have understood, looking for that Messiah, looking for the coming of the new king, of the Lord, of the Savior, of the Messiah. He uses those words. And then he says in verse 12, the sign will be, you're going to find this great ruler, uh, you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now that's going to be a little bit different than what they were expecting, wasn't it? All those other words that they're using are what the Jews were expecting to see when the king came. But what he wasn't expecting was for it to be a little baby wrapped in rags. But he says that's the sign, that's when you know. You'll know, you'll see this child lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough and then they uh, all these angels started praising God and singing praises to God and we'll continue reading verse 15 and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go now let us now go even unto bethlehem and see the thing which is come to pass which the lord hath made known unto us so they immediately said We can't wait for this one, guys. Let's go. We've got to go to Bethlehem. We have to see this. And they just, uh, I really don't think that they waited for the herd to follow. These guys hid it. They left for Bethlehem to see this child, what the Lord has made known unto us. In verse 16, and they came with haste, it says, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, the name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So here we see... Their response, when they see Jesus, they come, as God has said, He's lying there in swaddling clothes in a manger, and they praise him, don't they? And they can't keep this news to themselves. They spread this, these glad tidings of joy to everyone. They go and share these words to everyone they know, and it says that people wondered. And that doesn't mean that they were saying, hmm, I wonder if that's true or not. It means that they stood in awe of the things that happened. People took wonder in the story that they told and the things that they shared. So they immediately followed the word of God. They went and found this child. When they saw him, they certainly believed, and they believed before to go there. They saw him, and they told others, and they praised him. A wonderful thing, a wonderful welcome to the Son of God here on this earth. Even though he was born in lowly circumstances, immediately he was glorified, as he should be, and as rightly so. I'd like to go ahead and read uh, now Matthew chapter 2. So flip over to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read the second account of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. So here we have a completely different group of people that is seeking uh, to come to Jesus. Now... I guess I'm a victim of uh, the the popular accounts that I've seen. Uh, maybe I'm a victim of the very picture that I put up here on the slide to start today. But whenever we think about this story, I'll go back a little bit. You know, I think about the wise men standing there with the shepherds, and they're all around uh, the manger as Jesus was born. But uh, as we read here, we'll see that maybe that's not exactly what happened. Um, There's definitely a period of time here that was a different time frame for these people. Now, these people were also not Jews, were they? These were Gentiles. It says these were people of the East, and they were wise men. So whether they were astrologers or astronomers, I'm not really sure um, what the difference necessarily is between those two uh, and what word they had for that back then. But these people were people who were wise, it says, and that they studied the stars, and they saw this star. Now, we don't really know why they were looking for this star or, or what this star necessarily looked like, but we know that it got their attention and it got them to move. And we know that they came to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem, they came to Jerusalem asking, where is the king of the Jews? Where is this guy? So I also assumed, you know, okay, well, the star was right there over the manger the whole time and they just had to that evening follow where the star was and there around the manger. Well, no, You know, these guys made it to Jerusalem, and then they come into Jerusalem asking more questions. Where can we find this child? And verse 3 says, When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. A little bit of a different response from these Jews, huh? Whenever they heard that the king of the Jews was there from these wise men coming in looking for him. It says they were troubled and all Jerusalem with him. In verse four, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So Herod draws these people together and said, okay, well, he's coming here looking. I would like to know too, where is this kid being born? Where is this child to be born? And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And and this really kind of beckons back to uh, what most people would attribute to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where he says, But thou, Bethlehem, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So they're, with, uh, they're showing this prophecy to, to King Herod here. In verse 7, it says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. So then Herod reaches out to the wise men who came from the east, and he wants to know information. Why did you come here? How do you know? Why are you looking for this? Now, it's very typical for, I guess, the king or the person in charge or the boss to not be happy when they're not the first one to hear the information, Right? And so he wants to know, how did you hear about this? How, what do you know? I need to find him before you do. And verse 8 says, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. So he tells a fib here, uh, right before he gives the decree to kill every male baby in the kingdom, he says, just tell me when you find him so I can come worship him too. And he sends the wise men on their way to find Jesus so as they leave Jerusalem, we continue in verse 9. It says, When they had heard the king, they departed, and, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So the star appears again, and they follow that star, and when they saw it, they had exceedingly great joy. Verse 11, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So uh, that last verse, maybe that gives us a clue of why they were looking for this star or uh, what they knew, because it says that they listened to God who spoke to them in a dream, and they decided not to go back to Herod to reveal the location of Jesus uh, precisely, but they decided to go back another way, go back home. Another interesting thing here is they offered him these gifts the, the gift of gold, which would be uh, a gift for a king, the gift of frankincense, uh, you know, symbolizes the gift uh, for a priest. And the gift of myrrh for anointing and also for someone who's about to die. A lot of great symbolism there. Again, we don't have all the details of why they chose to bring these gifts or when they, uh, what they knew they were looking at or when they departed, but they do these things. And they honor God and says they fell down and worshipped him immediately. So when these men saw the star as they were looking for the star, they decided to follow it. They tried to find as much information as they could to find Jesus, and they found the king. When they found him, they bowed down, they worshipped him, they offered him their riches, their gifts, and then whenever God told them not to go back the other way, they followed God's guidance, and they went a different way. So here we see someone who was a Jew in the shepherds who heard this great news of Jesus and responded in uh, praising him and glorifying him, and then we see these Gentiles from a long ways away who, again, when confronted with the birth of Jesus, can't help but bow down and worship him. Now, what I find really interesting when when we consider these two stories is um, kind of a fast forward, I guess you can say here, to the book of Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 22, this is the very last book of the Bible, and these are some of the last words that Jesus spoke in, in the written word. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, it says, "I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star." So here, Jesus—this is the last time that he actually refers to himself. Now, there's—I uh, I think there's over 150 different titles that are attributed to Jesus in the scriptures. But the very last things that Jesus says is he self-identifies. What does he say, I am? He says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. This is how Jesus refers to himself at the end of the scriptures. Now, why would Jesus you know, give himself these names? Why, Why would he pull those out of the bag, so to speak, versus all the other wonderful names? Why didn't he call himself the savior? Why didn't he call himself the son of God? Why didn't he call himself any of these other things that we know him as? And why did he choose these? I think it's a really beautiful parallel to some of the things we just saw. As Jesus came into this world to the Jews, who was he? He was the son of David, born in the city of David, the savior, the Messiah that was prophesied. And as he closes the scriptures here, he refers to himself as the root and the offspring of David, beckoning to those prophecies. And as Jesus is uh, closing out his scriptures here and he's drawing in all these prophecies and all of these stories of, of the scriptures thus far, how does he refer to himself? The bright and morning star. And on his birth, those Gentiles come and follow the star to draw him uh, to him. He's the bright and morning star. I just think it's a beautiful parallel there of that. As he comes into the earth, th- these are the ways he identifies himself. And as we wrap up the scriptures, he re- he's reaffirming, this is who I am. I am the one that was prophesied. I am the bright and morning star. I'd like to look at the meaning of these uh, again briefly of what he means by this. Now, if we think about the context of the book of Revelation, that's a challenging one to say, isn't it? Uh, A lot of people have different feelings about the book of Revelation and uh, what time frame it necessarily applies to, Uh, but I think that uh, as you read these things, these are are very literally um, the words of Jesus. We know that. These are very literally words that were said from Jesus to a church of his people, weren't they? And those people were facing persecution. Now, God's people have faced persecution in times past. We face persecution now. We're going to face persecution in the future But in Revelation chapter 22, he provides everyone with great comfort, doesn't he? He provides so many beautiful images of the peace that he brings to this world that he has come to do. And I think that when he uses these terms, he he truly is just showing that he is validating his authority to be the one to say these words, to guide the church and to do these things. I'm the one that was prophesied. I am the bright and morning star. So first, I'd like to look at the root and the offspring of David. Now, we know that David was an ancestor of Jesus. He lived uh, probably about a thousand years before Jesus lived. Um, and, and it's kind of an interesting statement that he says that he is both the root and the offspring of David. That's a little confusing for me. Uh, I don't know. I, it's like uh, saying you are your own grandpa or something like that, right? You're the root and the offspring. So I came before, but I'm also the offspring of David. That's a little bit confusing, but that's truly um, referring to prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch that shall grow out of his root. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So notice here he talks about Jesse uh, Jesse being David's father, and and if you skip down to verse ten, it says, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people; too, it shall the Gentiles seek, and the rest and his rest shall be glorious. So here we, he, he's kind of describing what the root of Jesse is. Now also keep in mind that here in Revelation 22, that's uh, just a couple verses after he refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. So it also might be an uh, expansion upon that idea as well. If he's what came at first, and he is what will end all things. He is eternal. He's at the beginning, and he's at the end. But he very directly quotes here being of the root of Jesse. And we also see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, I always thought it was kind of a drag to start this brand-new testament with a list of all of your relatives. Uh, I've never started an exciting story with the list of all my relatives. However, it's so important to give the authority of which these words are spoken. And in 1 verse 1, how does it start? And the book of the generation of of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So here he's establishing, it's important, Jesus, he came from David and he came from Abraham. And here's the proof. Here's the story. There's Jesse in there. There's Jacob in there. There's all those people in his lineage. And he provides that. And why? Because it gives authority. This is the one that was prophesied. This is the one that comes from David. He also mentions Abraham there. We know the promises that were made to Abraham are all over the Old Testament. This is the one that was promised. In Revelation uh, 22 verse 16, so not only is he the root and the offspring of David to show this is the one that was prophesied of, this is the one I have authority because I am of David, but he also refers himself as the bright and morning star. Uh, a prophecy of this in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So again, he's, he's referring to this prophecy of a star coming from Jacob, another uh, uh, of his ancestors of Jesus, talking about Jesus being this star. Now, when he said this uh, to God's people in Numbers, again, God's people were being oppressed, and he was trying to give them hope, and he said, it's not going to happen right now, but this star, this scepter is coming. He is coming, and that was a point of hope for them, as he said, that, that star of Jacob. When we think about the bright morning star, I'm not going to dive into this as much as I did uh, when we talked about this uh, about a year ago, but... Uh, when we talk about the morning star, that's, that's really talking about uh, Venus, according to most people. So Venus is the very last star. There's a picture of it. The very last star that you see as the sun is rising. It's the brightest star that stays there the longest in the morning, referred to as the morning star. Now, if you were somebody who did study the stars as those wise men were, and as many pagans in the Old Testament were, and pagans today still is, uh, Venus was a very significant star and attributed to many different gods. Now, the, the Bible is very interesting when it talks about uh, the morning star. You can dive in uh, to different ways that that's talked about. We won't do that this morning. But uh, it was very popularly believed uh, in uh, Babylonian mythology that one of their, um, one of their gods uh, named Marduk, and I was just watching The Rings, I almost said Morgoth because of that, that new show, but um, not Morgoth, but Marduk, um, Marduk was this god of the Babylonians and so he as god was, was started as a little god in their mythology and, uh, and Babylon was a, a small place to start out with but Babylon grew into a, a great big powerful uh, empire and we know the Babylonian empire overtook God's people and, and, uh, you know, or God gave them up to them at some point and, and they did get uh, escaped from the, the Babylonians but you see a lot of talk about the Babylonians in Revelation as well. Uh, but this God Marduk had risen from like what was a small God to what they claimed to be the God of all gods. So Babylon said, well, look how much we've grown. Well, our God, because of what's happened to us, he's not just a God, Venus, but he is the God of all the gods that there are. And a lot of people in, in their mythologies raised up this star as higher than other stars or this God as other gods. So, when Jesus calls himself the bride and morning star, he's telling these people that God that you think you're worshiping is a false God. That's not God. I am the bride and morning star. I am the God above all gods. I am the supreme God. He's stating his power to those pagans. And we see that in different spots in the scriptures uh, based on that mythology. But really, what Jesus is trying to say, not only is he the star that was prophesied, but he is. A supreme God. He is the God. He is the big G God, not those little G gods that these people um, worshiped. He is the morning star. He is the last star that remains before the new day dawns. And I just think that's really um, powerful. Now, this time of year, it's easier for me to get up before the sun rises. And when I walk in the morning, I can't see stars here, but when I was still living out with uh, David and Jordan in West Texas. I could see stars where I was. Um, and and as, as you walk and you see that star, it's a wonderful reminder of Jesus, isn't it? It's a wonderful reminder that Jesus is there. And though we are in the dark and though we are struggling, Jesus is there. And guess what? The new day is coming as well, isn't it? The day is about to start. Jesus is there to carry us over, and whenever the new day comes, he doesn't disappear, but he becomes part of that glory, doesn't he? He becomes the part of the glory of eternity. Jesus is given as a sign and as a hope throughout the scriptures. In Luke chapter 1, verse 78... Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring and the day spring could also be translated the morning light or the morning star. The day spring from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. So he talks about this day star, this day spring, that being, uh, you know, a sign of Jesus is giving us light in a dark place, guiding our way to peace. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereinto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Again, he's using the same imagery to show the dawning of this new kingdom, the dawning of this new day is guided, uh, we are guided to that by this day star, by uh, this, this light that guides us in a dark place. So Jesus is given as this symbol, this star, that we have to guide us to the dawning of that new day. So when we read in Revelation chapter 2 verse 26, "And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give them the morning star. Again, they're using this imagery of Jesus as being the morning star. To those that overcometh and to those who keep his works unto the end. This light is given as a gift to those who are following after God. Who, those who see the star, who see Jesus and say, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to go to that. I'm going to follow that. I will give them the morning star, he says. So when we read that he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches, that I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. What do you think Jesus is trying to portray to us here? Well, Jesus is trying to show us that the prophecies have been fulfilled, isn't he? He says, I am the root of David. God's word is true. It can be trusted. Jesus is proof that God's promises have come true and will come true. God wants his people to be faithful even when things look challenging. As we think about him being called the bright and morning star, him being a light in a dark place, a guide to the dawn of a new day. He's a gift from God that guides us. When Jesus said these things, he wanted us to be hopeful. He wanted us to look to him and be hopeful of the dawning of a new day that was coming. Now, that's exciting for us to think. And, and, and I think about whenever those wise men were following that star and when I think about the angel heralding those words of praise, you know, Jesus is remembering that too, I think, when he says these words. And, and trying to get us excited for the thing that has come and the thing that is coming. When we, when we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, um, I, I don't know that this is really something that... Uh, well, we'll just read it. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll start in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is being revealed to us. So, this glory that is coming, this dawning of the new day, it is just so much greater than whatever we're suffering right now. When he talks about a light in the dark place, there's the light, right? That new day that is dawning, so much better than whatever we're going through right now. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, But because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So he talks about this longing for the last day, the longing for the dawning of the new day, the, the longing for the new heaven and the new earth when we're all resurrected and our bodies are made new and we're reunited with God. He, he compares this longing, it says, to the pains of childbirth and we're groaning in the pains of childbirth. Now, whenever our children were born, I had a very different experience than my wife did. Uh, I think that's the case for most people, right? Um, and when I talk about longing, that means a different thing when I talk about my child is going to be born in a week or two. That's a different type of longing than I, than I would associate with the longing that I had to, you know, for the end of this world and for the returning of Christ most times. And now when I think about the longing that Katie had for the birth of those children as she's in the pain, she's suffering there, but she's longing for that child. I long for that. you know. Imagine how exciting it was to see baby Jesus there. Those people were waiting, longing for their Messiah. As they go there, they see this baby being born, and they know that nothing is ever going to be the same again because this child has entered the world. They knew that when they saw Jesus. And I think it would be amazing to be there uh, and see Jesus lying there in the manger and, and to just bow down and glorify him in that state. But we have so much greater opportunity before us, don't we? Because he's coming back again, isn't he? He's coming back as the son of David. He is coming back as that bright and morning star. And he's coming back not to live here for some years and to die on a cross, but he's coming back for eternity to take us home, to reunite us with God. And we need to long for that day. We might be groaning together in pain. It says all of creation is groaning, waiting for that day. We know it's not easy waiting for that day, but that day is coming. And it's coming soon. In Revelation 22, we'll read it again. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bride and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is how the the scriptures end. What does he say? That bright and morning star, the root and the offspring of David, he surely will come quickly. He says, surely I come quickly. The day is coming soon, isn't it? The day when we're not worried about seeing the star, but we will be united with God. That new day will dawn. We won't have any of these worries anymore. We won't have any of this suffering anymore. The new day has come. We'll be reunited with him. Whenever I think about Jesus' birth, I think not only about how God humbled himself to come to this earth, how he lived a perfect life and faced so much persecution, faced so much trial, faced so much suffering for my sake, and ultimately died on the cross and was resurrected the third day, but I also think of that day that is coming as well. I think that maybe I wasn't there for the day that Jesus was born, but the new day is coming, and he said he's going to be here quickly. He is the one. It's the same one. He's going to be here, and it's going to be here soon. You know, I can't give a better invitation than what they give here. He says, you just need to come, don't you? He says, if you're somebody who does not have Jesus, you don't have this grace that unites us all, you don't have the Holy Spirit that's a gift to those who follow after him, who give their life to him. He says, every man that heareth these words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone takes away from it, we know it's not going to be good, right? If you're not going to read these things and follow after them, it's not going to be good. If you add things to it, it's not going to be good. But if you follow after these things, amazing glory awaits, a dawn of a new day. I hope that as you read these things, you want to be one of those who follows after Christ. And you could be united with him in baptism. You have your sins washed away. You could accept the blood that was shed on the cross. That blood could wash your sins away. You could be renewed. But as one of God's people this morning, I look at this and I'm encouraged. I have that hope set before me. I know that it may not be easy right now. I might have some problems right now, but quickly he's going to be back, isn't he? gonna be a blink of an eye the years just seem to move faster and faster every year quickly he says very quickly it will be done if you find yourself struggling this morning you find yourself losing heart no jesus is coming and he's coming quickly he's coming for you he's coming for me and if you find yourself not in the family of god when he comes it's going to be quickly you want to be ready you want to be ready to be joined with him if you find yourself this morning not ready for when Jesus comes. We'd be happy to help you in either way. If you would like to come forward as we sing the song of invitation.